Welcome to Blind Shovel, an arts and music podcast. Today I sit down with Patrick Kyle, illustrator and cartoonist. Enjoy. How you doing? Uh, good, good. How are you? I'm all good. Cool. I'm enjoying my life. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> what'd you What'd you do today? What is your um, like uh, day in day out look like? You're in Toronto, right? Yeah. Um, up until recently, I was kind of just hanging out. Uh, I was in between a lot of projects, um, but I started teaching again today. Really? Yeah, I teach at OCAD here in Toronto. Um, I usually teach in the summer semesters. So it's like two six-week semesters. We meet twice a week. And it's like a, a comics and graphic novel class. Interesting. Do you yeah. find that uh, teaching comics is is easy for you? Um, I, te- I mean, like I'm allowed to um, like write all my own curriculum and assignments and stuff. So it's very like tailored to my own sensibilities and tastes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not too bad. I I was a little stressed out this morning. I always kind of feel like the students are going to be like really unreceptive to the content, but it's always the opposite. They're always like kind of stoked or like really into the possibilities of it. And I really try to stress that with them that it's like, there's a lot of possibilities in comics and a lot of, you know, a lot of different ways to approach it. Yeah. That makes me think like, what do you, do you have any people in there who just want to do Marvel and DC stuff? And are you equipped to kind of aid them in that process? <laughs> um, I, I haven't actually yet. Like um, today I had two students who mentioned that they were really into like mainstream stuff. Um, and I don't know, I, I'm, you know, I don't keep up with that stuff. I'm not like super familiar with what's going on in that world, but, um, you know, try to assist them in every way I can, but I do kind of like push them to kind of like, you know, forget what you know about comics coming into this class and sort of like, look at everything, look at all the material I'm showing them and like, try to try to adapt, um, to the material rather than like, kind of like go with what they already know about comics. Yeah. What do you think is a really bad comic and i don't mean name something specific but i have this weird it's a a strange hang-up where like if i if i feel that a comic is trying to be something else like just a storyboard for a tv show or a movie Mm -hmm. i think that's bad i really dislike that too that's that's something i stress with my students that um yeah like thinking of comics as being just an avenue to animation or film or like being adjacent to those things is like kind of a limiting way to look at it. So how Um, do you instill that? Like, what do you think is the strength of comics in an age where people have the attention span 
of a, we'll use any metaphor, but just a shorter attention span, you know, like you're competing with some really sugary mediums, even film. So how can comics like survive in a, I think about this a bit. Yeah, honestly, um, honestly, I'm not sure. I think it's like, it's like there for you if you want it. And, um, but I know, I think the, the exciting thing about, you know, paper printed comics is like, you know, the, the tactility of like holding a book and being able to kind of like pour over it and look at all the illustrations like over and over again and like, you know, go back and forth as much as you want with it. I don't know. There's less opportunity to do that in like a time-based medium, like animation or film. Like obviously you can just like rewind it really easily, but it's not quite the same experience as being able to like look at an illustration for as long as you want or, um, or for like a comics maker to like, just like play with the page and like, um, encourage the reader to read it in a really specific order or like kind of in a nonlinear way. Do you feel that like your life identity is a comic artist? I don't know. No, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Like, I mean, I think that's like maybe how people think of me or that's like definitely the world I have my, my feet like most firmly planted in, but I don't know. I don't really like read all that much. Uh, I don't read all that comics anymore. Just, I, I mean, I was really, really into it. Like, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. And like when I was growing up, I was really, really into it, but um, you make music as well, right? I do. Yeah. Um, I play drums in a band called Scooter J mm -hmm. is like, um, it's like kind of like a proto punk style band, like maybe like, I don't know, with like some like thin Lizzy vibes. Um, but I, I play guitar too. I like kind of, I have like a secret, uh, black metal project <laughs> that I've been, I've been doing for a long time. But your career, I mean, since you're teaching it as well, it seems like comics are the the main planet, like the main gravitational pull. Yeah. Um, I, I used to teach, uh, when I started teaching, I was teaching like illustration courses and, and that's what I studied. Um, In school? Like, yeah. Yeah. When I, when I was growing up, like comics was, was my thing. Like I, I made the decision like very early in my life that I wanted to draw comics and like, I don't know, I, I'm not as stubborn as I used to be, but when I was a kid, I was very like fixated on that goal. Like um, pure, like you were just going to be that thing. Yeah, that was it. Um, that was like, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't, I like didn't really waver from it, but then when I got to art school, um, I, I applied to the illustration program, got into that because it seemed like the closest thing to, to comics to me or like the work that I saw people making in that program, um, just seemed like the most comic like, like, you know, it was like line work focused sure, sure. drawings. Um, sometimes the closest thing is the furthest thing. Cause I went to school for illustration as well with probably a similar thinking, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I got really in, into the illustration thing though. And nice. Um, it, it took a bit of, of coaxing out of me. Um, but, um, I don't know. I think I, I need it. I kind of needed that. I needed to kind of be like broken down a little bit and taken out of my comfort zone. And I think I started like drawing a lot, a lot better in like 
I don't know. I was, I was able to make much better comics after I had like focused on just doing like illustration and like standalone images for, for a while. Have you become what your teenage self thought you were going to be? Like, have you made, <laughs> you, you've made many books, right? Like you've done the, the damn thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like as a teenager, like I didn't really know where I was going or what I was going to do. It was, I grew up in like a suburb, just like an hour outside of Toronto. And I had a really hard time like seeing beyond it. I never really like, I didn't never like visited the city much as a kid, like, uh, kind of just hung around my hometown and like stayed home a lot. Um, I didn't really know. Like I, I definitely like wanted to be, um, like a traditional comic artist for a while, like do, do superhero stuff or, then like when I got into manga in high school, I wanted to just sort of do, do my own, like, like adventure action series or whatever and that kind of thing. But I don't know. So, yeah, so like, what, was there a book that shifted that? Cause I, I have a similar, like I, I wanted, I would just like draw spawn, you know? So like, yeah, yeah. Which is like a foot, I guess it's a foot out and a foot in something about Todd McFarlane. I just liked and, uh, or like even Frank Miller, just like those guys who seemed different a little bit within that kind of world of Marvel and DC. Mm -hmm. But then when I read Yuichi Okayama, when I was like much later, that made me realize, oh, you could do some things I didn't think you could do with comics. Even it sounds so stupid because like once you understand <laughs> you could do basically anything with comics, uh, it's goofy, but yeah, for some reason it took me reading that book travel and being like, Oh, you could True. do that. Yeah. I, I, I know what you mean. Exactly. Um, I was into similar stuff. I was into like Paul Pope and yeah. And like, like Frank Miller and stuff. Like when I was started high school, you know, I was reading like just like the popular comics of the day, like Scott Pilgrim and things like that. Um, I was really into like Corey Lewis. I don't know. If you no, I, don't, I don't know that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the, the book that kind of like broke me was um, Shrimpy and Paul and Friends by Mark Bell. Oh, okay. I don't know if Is you know he one, Canadian? That's right. Yeah, he's yeah. from, um, I think he's from London, Ontario, Ontario initially. Um, but reading, reading that book, I don't know, it, it definitely like reminded me that comics could be anything. It, re it reminded me of like stuff that like I was drawing when I was like a little kid it had like that sort of like it, it had a lot of like joy and like revelry and fun and you never really knew what was going to happen next um the drawings were like you know really off the wall and like really psychedelic it's funny um, because for me like i look at yokoyama now and i don't it's the opposite of what you just described, you know, it's like, there's something kind of intellectual and tongue in cheek about it that I guess we, you know, when I was in art school, I was in that mindset. So, cause I didn't want to be an illustrator. So I was trying to look for things that were not that, um, mm. but shamefully, I just like, and I was going to ask you about how you feel about those books now, Mark Bell, but I just like, don't have any interest in reading even new Yokoyama. I don't know why it's, it's no, it's no uh, assessment of his work. It's just like, I need more humanness or something now. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
I mean, I still, I still love Mark Bell. Um, I, I keep up with what he's doing. Like I'm not as, as like, um, eager really, sorry, it's not my, my headphone out. <laughs> not as like eager to read like any comic, I guess. Um, but I, I always like, you know, grab the new Yokoyama when they like, when it comes out or, or grab the new Mark Bell book. But, um, you know, what's funny is I remember <laughs> I like CF and his work a lot, but I remember being shown that before Yokoyama, but just not getting it in some ways. And then realizing what picture box was, this is like mm. fresh freshman year of college. I was fortunate to have a good friend of mine. I didn't know who he was until that day, but he showed it to me. And I was still in that mindset of like, this is drawn like really shitty, you know, <laughs> like, uh, like this, uh, I don't even know how to describe that shift, but I think up until that point, you're trying in high school, you're trying to draw like, as like prove to yourself, you can draw. Mm -hmm. So you look at other people who do the same thing and you're saying, Oh, they're proving they can draw, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like to, I mean, to be honest, like, I don't think I'm really that good at drawing. Like I'm not, I was never like, I could never make those, those technical drawings or like, I could never be as good as like my favorite manga artist or whatever. Um, so yeah, see, seeing the artists that were a little more like embracing of, um, you know, drawings that are less manicured drawings that are a little more like, um, spontaneous, like off the cuff, like CF or, or Ben Jones or any of the, uh, the fourth Thunder dudes like Rickman or, or Chippendale, like, that stuff was kind of a revelation for me. Cause it just like, it wasn't so much about like, um, making it perfect. It was more about like a specific type of energy in the drawing and like a gesture. And, uh, that really resonated with me. Is there a person that you were next to when drawing and you realized, Oh, this, I'm not good at drawing. This person's really good at drawing. Cause I, for me, Jesse Ballmer, my friend, like, I would draw with him and I realized, Oh, I'm not good at drawing. This was when I was like 25 or something. <laughs> that was yeah. a useful lesson. And he's still, he's still much better at drawing than me. It's like, you have to understand your strengths. And for a lot of people who are good artists, it has nothing to do with their technical ability to draw. I think. Mm -hmm. So was there yeah. anyone around you? You were like, Oh, this person was born to draw. I happen to draw to facilitate interesting ideas or stories, but it's not what I'm born to do in some sense. Yeah. In college, like both, um, my, my friends, Chris Kuzma and Jeanette LaPalm were both just like, you know, so, yeah. so good at what they do. And I mean, I feel kind of, I feel that way about everybody. I feel like, I feel like all of my peers. Just like, what, do you, what do you do with that realization? I don't know. It's, it's kind of tough. Like I used to compare myself a lot to, to other artists. Um, I used to feel, you know, a bit like bogged down or a bit like, um, stifled by that or just like, uh, like just kind of like, what's the, what's the point if I can't be this good or whatever, but I don't know. I kind of just like try to keep my eyes on my own paper and like stay in my own lane now. Cause, um, I don't know. It's not a really about like what it really looks like in the end. It's kind of like more about the process for me. Interesting. It's just kind of like something that I have to do. Drawing. Yeah. Yeah. You have to do it to be sane. 
this kind of thing? Or yeah, fulfill, I think so. It's, it's, it's like a really kind of meditative thing for me. Um, it's like getting into that, like that flow state where you're like, just kind of like not thinking about anything. Just like uh, letting the, the lines happen. Yeah. That's like, you know, really, I don't know. It's like a really exciting feeling for me. No, that's great. I kind of miss the anxiety of being tw in the twenties and comparing oneself because there's something, there's a lot of growth that happens there, maybe in the wrong directions at times, but there's like a, I do feel in my thirties, I'm just like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> what's, I don't care. Yeah. I don't know anything about what's going on yeah, in the scene or like, I don't know what the coolest book is right now. Um, yeah, me neither. I, I don't know. Like, did I then either? I, I don't know. Like, um, well, you're more like, I assume that you were more in the scene of like the fairs and all that. Right. You did all this, right? Yeah. A little bit. I, I'm, t I've kind of like taken a backseat from that. Um, yeah, I haven't been like tabling. I mean, like obviously the pandemic, like put a, sure. put a big monkey wrench into that whole thing. But since then I've like, I, I've been attending festivals as like, um, just with my sitting with my publishers, but I haven't been like tabling and selling my own zines really. Yeah. Just when, has, when, that's spelled really good. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you're teaching, what do you see coming up? Is there specific things that the people you're teaching are kind of looking at? Are there trends, you know, without Tumblr, well, I, I guess it exists, but like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Tumblr was like, uh, it really distilled aesthetics somehow. And then mm. I, 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 it was like clear what a Tumblr aesthetic was. It was clear what the trends were. Maybe I'm just older, so I just don't know. But I'm kind of curious where comics, you may have some insight by teaching kids, like, it's where is it going? Where can it go? I don't know. I'm not totally sure in terms of comics. Like, I, I don't know. I don't see like a lot of the, I don't know. I feel like a lot of like the cool kids or like the uh like the hip the hip art school kids like aren't really like but like thinking about comics much anymore. There's like they've moved on to like tattoos and like yes. ceram ceramics and stuff. <laughs> so I, I feel like a lot of that kind of work that that was kind of like um I don't know, that had it had the kind of like some the same energy that like you know we were we were seeing like back in the day going to like bcgf and stuff like that brooklyn comics and graphics fest um yeah i don't know it's like it's gone to other avenues of art and like i think the the, the kind of like general um like a popular the popular aesthetic in comics is sort of a little more like um just mainstream friendly i guess it's hmm. it's less like um maybe a little less adventurous and um a lot of the comics are kind of like, do you, have you heard of Webtoon? I don't think so. Okay. I only found out about it through students of mine, but it's yeah. like, it's like a really popular Korean um, comics website where it's actually a really intriguing format. Like the comics have like a, an infinite scroll. So you can kind of just read a comic forever. They can, they just go on and on. Um, which That's could be a really cool thing, uh... but 
the the aesthetic is like it's very like safe and, and and mainstream and like a lot of the comics are kind of like slice of life type stuff and um a lot of a lot of my students are kind of into that that type of thing and like interesting comics in that vein i'm looking at it right now the infinite scroll is kind of wow it's odd mm -hmm. that's a shame i like when there's two pages and they're next to each other yeah yeah it's <laughs> definitely a different format so you teach you you're making fine art at the moment as well right yeah yeah a little bit um I had a show in Los Angeles at Heavy Manners Library, um, which was run by my friend Matthew James Wilson. Uh, really cool space. It was called uh, A Sufficiently Grotesque Elfish Aspect. Um, it was like 80, 8.5 by 11 pieces um, that were all like matte medium transfers of, uh, of drawings that I did. Um, it's like a, a technique that I, I used to use a lot, like in my early career, like yeah, back in the day. Yeah, back in the day when I was like posting like Flickr and stuff, like that was like how uh, how I worked. Um, it's like a really cool analog technique with like a lot of um, just creates like a really tactile surface with like a lot of layers. And I don't know. Um, I, I stopped doing it for a long time because I was doing more digital work, like in my illustration career. But then. Kind of missed I missed that um, that tactile aspect and just think it's kind of important for like people to see work in real life and have it like you know look a little different maybe than it does on a screen yeah definitely I think what happens when you get illustration work is you naturally gravitate towards quicker more efficient digital processes just so the art director can mm -hmm. you know they need that totally uh, totally I remember trying to do illustration by like painting everything and using these really garish neons and then scanning it in and being like, why did I do any of this? It's not even right. scanning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually a, one of the reasons why I stopped doing my illustration work analog because I, I got a new scanner and it couldn't pick up any of the colors anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I later found out that there's like two major types of scanners and like one picks them up like, okay. And then most, most, yeah, most modern scanners are like, um, CIS style contact image sensor. And then the old, the older ones are CCD. Like, I don't remember what that acronym stands for, but those ones, the CCD ones, I believe are the ones that are like, are a little more, um, they use like old digital camera technology rather than like, um, like LEDs or whatever. So I might have had the two mixed up, but um yeah, CCD scanners are like much better for picking up colors. So I had to like scour Craigslist and like find a good old scanner. That's good to know. Mm hmm Yeah, yeah. So you you're like an elf? Are you like an elf or a gnome? Or are these <laughs> just the kind of things what is that? <laughs> is that a is that like a reflection of your personality and how you live or is it something from when you were younger, like D and D world or something of that nature? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, like, um, my, my parents are from Ireland. Oh, okay. uh, I, I was really, 
I, I was really into Magic the Gathering and and still am into Magic the Gathering. Um, but uh, I don't know. There's just like something about elfing that is like really intriguing to me. Elfing? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Um, That's a verb? Yeah. I, yeah. Just uh, as of now. Um, oh, okay. Okay. I didn't know. <laughs> like any, anything can be anything at the in the present tense. So I wasn't sure if there was like a set of actions that would clarify. I'm not really sure what I mean by that, but I just like, I often find myself like wanting to illustrate these little mischievous characters and with like pointed ears and stuff. So. And that's been consistent, right? Mm -hmm. These creatures, they're like curious. Uh, Are they anxious or existential in some way? I think they're kind of like both of those things. Um, I don't know if I can elaborate on that anyway. <laughs> it just is what it is. You don't really get into it, right? Yeah. I, my comics are like extremely like st- a stream of consciousness. Um, do you move page by page? Yeah. Yeah. I don't do any preliminary writing really. Like none of, none of my comics that are in print, like, um, started with a script or anything. They just happened on the page. Have you tried that before? Like writing a thing or even knowing the end of something and then going there? Yep. Um, I, I have a project right now that is is based on a short story that I wrote. And my intention with that was to like bring my work into like a new realm of... Uh, professionalism or, or clarity or just make something that was more digestible um, for a mass audience. But I, I think it was like, I, I started working on this, this book, like it was based on this story that I wrote and I started um, drawing it like right before the pandemic. And I got like a hundred pages into it and felt that it was just like kind of unreadable. Um, there was like something about adapting the writing into my comics like the rhythm didn't feel right it felt very like disjointed and kind of like just like a bumpy read i I didn't really like it um so i I had to like put it away um for a year and just like kind of think about it and i've recently come back to it and like sorted out some of the kinks with it and i think i can pull it together but it was just kind of like antithetical to like how I work and just like kind of what makes my work good and like what makes my work surprising, I think both, both for me and for um, the reader. Cause like so much of the the process for me is like that discovery at the, at the drawing table, like ha- just like having yeah, yeah. fun and like being, you know, laughing at some joke that I, I, I come up with or, um, or like trying to think of something really, strange or or ridiculous to happen next in the story no i completely relate i've tried to um do this and that's why that's why i'm asking i wonder if you had any advice because it's like um if i know the ending of a book it just doesn't get made and um Mm -hmm. if i'm being flattering i guess i guess you could view it from two perspectives like you can have a certain respect for the the beingness of the book, you know, and let it talk back to you in real time and let it develop alongside you. Or you can kind of like put it in a cage 
via the script and via all this like preliminary drawings where you're kind of it's like kind of at your behest you know like whatever you want it to do it'll do for some reason that's never appealed to me mm -hmm. but i understand this desire for professionalism especially when you work in more personal ways i think as you get older you're like how do i know if i'm getting better this yeah. is the thing that, this is the thing that confuses me a little bit yeah yeah that was kind of my thinking too it was like i want to i want to reach a next the next level and like work with a bigger publisher and like have more distri distribution and readership or something but i don't know i've kind of been thinking that like maybe that doesn't really appeal to me that much or maybe it doesn't really matter that much is that a financial thing or just like a metric that can be felt you just want to be like can i sell this many copies of something yeah it's just like trying to reach the next level or something but i don't know maybe it's like not really that important it's definitely not like financially driven at all um i get the desire for growth i think that's why it's important to have peers who you trust because they're like they can tell you pretty objectively if you're getting better or worse or 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 just stagnating you know it's so, certainly the biggest problem when you make very personalized art it's just like how do i especially when you're dabbling in abstractions it's like yeah yeah because even if the reader is like comics partially it's like you just want to get a point across but if you go super abstract and someone reads the panel completely wrong you could still be like well that's just their interpretation but meanwhile yeah. you could be missing out on like fundamental skills of communicating you know what i mean yeah yeah true i don't know i think i've become like i was definitely like not concerned with that at all um at certain points in my career like you know like sometimes actively you know, creating hurdles for, for readers in books. Um, but, um, you know, like with the, with the book that I was like, I had written the script for, it was sort of like, yeah, just sort of an effort to, to make things more, just make a book with more clarity and like more readability. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if that was like necessarily the right decision for me. I think it's right in the sense if you're pushing yourself, testing yourself. I think yeah. I, I realized at a certain point, like there's places for clarity and obfuscation within comics. And I think there's been times where I drew panels that in hindsight, like they're just not drawn well enough to communicate what I needed them to communicate. Mm -hmm. And that's not a good thing. It doesn't add to the story, which is already abstract, you know, like in a sense, there's a way to clearly express a certain form of abstraction. And that should be the goal. Um, not just kind of letting your, cause I know it's from laziness. I could have redrawn the panel. Uh, I guess I'm very suspicious of laziness now that I'm saying it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. If, like, I know there's some artists who try to judo flip this and they're like, well, laziness is a, there's virtue in this or something. But for me, there's not, there is none there, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. For me, it was kind of like, um, when I looked at a drawing that I didn't love, I, I just tried to accept it. I was like, I was in a certain place when I made this and like, I chose these marks 
And that's just, it is what it is. It's like a record of the specific time that I created this page in and I should just own it and let it be part of the book. And there's definitely like a lot of drawings in my books that, that are, that I've let go like that. And some of them I look back on, I'm like, holy shit, like, wow, that's a really bad drawing. And there's other ones that I've like warmed up to or, or changed my mind on, but I don't know. I kind of just like try to let it be what it is. Like let my drawings kind of just exist as they are. I think there's a practicality to that just to finish a book. Like, uh, you can just Absolutely. Keep, keep going back and changing panels and going back and changing panels. Mm-hmm. But do you think every panel in a comic should be interesting visually? Should they all be home runs? Cause when I, <laughs> this is something I've been trying to figure out is like, when I read certain comic artists, there's clearly just panels that communicate and almost like echo other panels that are strong, but they're not mm. trying to impress in a sense. There's like a rhythm of excellence in respect to like the quality of the images. Like there's kind of okay panels, then there's like a big thing. But in a lot of independent work, independent comics, I feel like, and I like this, that every panel is like an art piece unto itself Mm -hmm. yeah i i I don't know i think i i think about like art and comics like as music a lot of the time and i'm like well not every song is like pushed to 10 every time like there obviously there is you know it's really extreme music that's like very you know um in your face and and really like or very technical or whatever but it's like the best way to enjoy that stuff is like have it be contrasted with like, you know, something a little more subtle so that there's, there is that sort of ebb and flow in the work. Um, yeah, that makes sense from an album perspective, you mm-hmm. know, like not every song is the single in a yeah, sense. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a structure to it. Like, I think that you need to like, you know, take your shot when, when you need to have a panel, that's really impactful and like really, really, um, important you know but um i don't know i also like don't really use panels a lot you know a lot of my comics are kind of just like these explosive uh splash that's true splash pages yeah in respect to the books you're putting out do you have any really clear metrics you try to grow with you know is it like double a page count double the sales or are you really just letting it flow at this point? I don't know. I never really think much about like making sales. Um, I'm definitely just kind of like, I don't know. I, I mean, the zines that I do, like I've been printing less of them. Um, I don't know. I, I just think there's like, there's like a specific cohort of people that like really enjoy my work and like buy every zine. But um it's not as, as like, uh, it's not as, as like, I'm not like selling as many, as many as I used to. I don't think, mm-hmm. um, the last one I did, I, I just printed like 45 copies and like handed them out for free at decaf, like a little short comic that I, I worked on recently. Um, but yeah, not really like nothing regarding like page counts either. Like basically, I don't know with every, project, I kind of just try to, um, 
come up with like a working methodology for it that is like fun that I can, I can sustain. And sometimes that changes like in the middle of a project, but I tend to do projects like in, in issues, mm-hmm. like my, my last book, um, baby that I did with breakdown press that, that just came out, um, was like six zines that I did over the pandemic. And a, a lot of my books have been like just collected mini comics and, I don't know. That kind of gives me the freedom to like stop a project if I'm not feeling it. Like, um, finally go, go a couple of issues. I can, I can stop change, change gears and stuff. Um, there's been a couple of projects over the, over the years that I've had to stop doing just cause like the working methodology or whatever wasn't like, I don't know. I wasn't vibing with it. So, um, Interesting. you you leave yourself an out in mm-hmm. a sense. Yeah. Would yeah. you describe making comics as fun? It depends. Um, I have like a certain way of making comics that I really enjoy. And like, I often kind of like, um, just resort to that, which is like just drawing like an open, you know, amorphous page design, illust- like splash page type illustration on like an 11 by 14 piece of paper. That's sort of like my fallback. Like when I don't know what, what yeah. to do. Like I go, I go there, but, um, it's been other projects that I've done that have been like a little more laborious, like doing, um, don't come in here was a book I did with, with like a more structured panel format. And that became like, I did a little bit of preliminary work for that one. And that did feel like I was just like on an assembly line, like kind of like putting the pieces in place. And, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't love that process. So like I, I started the, the book that followed that, um, roaming, roaming foliage, like while I was working yeah. and coming here and roaming foliage is like, uh, really like, um, it's really like experimental. It has like a lot of collage elements and stuff and a lot of like overlapping drawings. And I did like a lots of like really scribbly small drawings and like blew them up. And a lot of the, the text is just like random typewriter font, just like thrown onto the page. I find that to to often be the case if there's like a real rigid project, even if it's commercial, then there's some crazy explosive, like no fucks given experimental thing that has to balance it out. Yeah, totally. I definitely feel that. And whether that goes out into the public, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter, but Mm -hmm. I'm still shocked by people who can sit down and draw 300 issues of a thing consistently or whatever their whole life, you know, there's just like, this is the project berserk or something. Yeah. Uh, Seriously. I I could not, I could not do that. I I was going through like when I was preparing for my class this morning, I was looking at some pages from my first book, uh, black mass Mm -hmm. and my partner, Jeanette came in and she was like, Holy shit. Like what if you had just been doing this the whole time? I was like, wow. I mean, like, it's just so, it's so different from what I do now. And like, I still see myself in it. And there's like, I think, I think my, my most recent book baby has like a lot of connection to black mass and like a lot of, um, the humor is like kind of similar and like the way I approach the page is kind of similar, but yeah, it's just like, so, so different. If Um, I recall, I read it a while back. It was more grounded in like a, in this world in some sense, right? Like there was kind yeah. of a, 
punk ish thing, like less abstracted. It's more like there's an identity almost. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's not abstract. Like it's definitely like all the characters are like very cartoony and there's like, um, you know, punks and, and wizards and magic and yeah. it culminates in this big like punk competition at the end. It's really silly. Um, it's like a, a more dialogue in it than I remember, like lots of characters. And like, I feel like I just don't really, uh, I don't write characters anymore really. Um, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I couldn't see, um, I just, I, I couldn't see myself making a work like that anymore. I'm like, I, I have a hard time like remembering what it was like to, to make that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. After that, it just kind of like, I, I kind of stripped away a lot of the, um, a lot of the pages in that were like very overdrawn. I think there was like lots of line and like lots of like goopy, drippy stuff. And I kind of like paired all that back. My, in my, in my next book, distance mover, it like got a little, a little bit more tight and I started using like a fine line pen and stuff. And that one, because I was Rezo printing it, I had to like arrange things in a really specific way to get the print quality that I wanted. So it became like more designy and like things didn't really overlap so much anymore. And yeah, yeah kind of yeah. like, kind of like, uh, shifted my whole, my whole thing. Yeah. And that's interesting. I mean, was she saying it from the perspective of not that you should obviously do the same thing over a lifetime, but what do you think you were both trying to imagine? In other words, if you imagine you just drew like black mass to the end. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> just like how like unfathomable it is to just do that kind of thing like that consistently. Yeah. It's just like, it, you know, it was me at a really specific time in my life. And it was like me processing like what I experienced as a teenager and like, uh, just like all the, the, the stuff I was consuming at the time. Like I was really into like B movies and, sure. you know, like playing a lot of magic and stuff and into like, you know, punk and, and black metal and stuff. Um, so it was more personal. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like, I don't want to say juvenile, but it was just kind of like my interest at the time. And then as I became more, um, as my tastes diversified and like, I got more into art and different, different types of, of music and movies and stuff, just like my, my tastes really evolved. And there was just different things I wanted to do in my comics work where like that wasn't really capable, like the, the world of black mass, like the style of drawing in black mass, like I wasn't really capable of doing certain things I wanted to try in that style like the way that the, uh, the pages are just like, you know, these, these kind of like amorphous, um, like blobs, there's no, there's no like panel delineation or whatever. It didn't really allow me to do a lot of pacing in the work. Right. And, um, like when I, when I started, when I was started to think about, um, don't come in here. Like I, I was thinking a lot about, um, 2001, a space odyssey and like, you know, like I, I love that movie a lot and, and just like, or, or even the shining and just like how, how slowly paced those films are and how they kind of just like let you like, just kind of like focus on an image, like slowly for like an extended period of time. And I wanted to like have the ability to do that in my work to make something a little more like 
ambient. Yeah. And I, it wasn't really possible to do that um, in the in like the, the, the style of Black Mass or, or Distance Mover. So, yeah, it didn't make a change. Do you present this kind of thing to your students? Like, this is my career. This is how things developed. Yeah, I mean, I don't really talk about my work too much. I did like a, you know, like a quick, like 10 minute overview today. I try to like present um, just like the world of alternative comics as a, as a whole, rather than like talk about myself too much. Gotcha. Is there an artist you look at and you go like a comic artist who has a, like what you're talking about is the capability of certain styles and worlds to kind of explore a variety of feelings, emotions, atmospheres, et cetera, narratives. Is there a comic artist you look at and envy for their ability to kind of, their style allows them to kind of, I don't know how to word it. Like for me, Miyazaki has this ability to touch on anything almost. Hmm. And that's crazy to me. Like it could be a funny, he could be doing something funny, something scary, something deep, something not. Um, and there's some comic artists I think of where I'm like, wow, that whatever they've created has, has allowed them to explore almost infinitely, you know? Yeah. I mean, my, Michael DeForge is like, he's great at that. You know, he's, he's got such a range yeah. in his work. Um, and he does, you know, he does nonfiction well, he does fiction really well. He can be serious. He can be, you know, really funny. He's, mm -hmm. he's, you know, a really great friend of mine. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think Connor Williamson is in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Connor's work is amazing. I don't know how to pronounce this man's name, but Olivier Schrowin. Oh, yeah. I look at yeah, that and I go, I feel like he can go anywhere with that. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's something really cool about that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do envy that. And like, can, you know, maintaining, the stylistic integrity of the work in, in that is like, it's cool. Like I, my, Michael's stuff is like obviously pretty identifiable no matter what he's doing. I think my stuff is like pretty identifiable too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like my, each of my books takes on a really different form and like the style shifts pretty, um, I mean, not dramatically so much that you don't recognize it, but it's just like the, the form of the comic like takes on a different shape. Yeah. The kind of constraints, the rules of the the book mm -hmm. the materials always stay the same like i'm always kind of like drawing with the same stuff i've been drawing with a brush like since i was a teenager um and, and still do i remember you making some post about that basically saying like always use a brush when you can if possible yeah yeah i push people to do it um, do you do you use a fake digital brush no never <laughs> I, what I do you, what do you to, do um, digitally like what do you uh allow yourself to do right now just like um color separations really and then like cleaning cleaning stuff up like right uh, this is like screen printers this is how i use it too because i screen print a lot it's like mm -hmm. i only some weird purity thing i feel like i only allow myself to know the amount of Photoshop abilities that correlate to what I have done or can do. So like mm. if I can separate screens color wise and have the line here, like I know how to do that. And like, it's just a quicker way to it, you know? 
Mm -hmm. But once it gets into things that are way beyond what I can do, I start to feel weird for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Disingenuous. It's stupid. (laughs) It's really stupid. I think there's a place for really, really digital. Like you mean like what you can do with analog materials? Yeah. Yeah. Basically Uh, like if I'm separating colors for screen printing, I could do it manually or I could do it digitally. Or Mm. if the book's going to be printed in color anyway, like why wouldn't I just do the color here? But I don't even know how to use clipping masks. I was just talking to Neve about this. (laughs) I don't even use, I almost have like some weird, uh, I want it to still feel like you understand how it, it was made. Right, right. Or some shit like that. Yeah. Do you have, do you have these hangups with the, the digital realm? Or are you like comfortable uh, exploring in there? Yeah, I mean, for a while, like, I was like really leaning into it. Um, there's like an era of my illustration career that's like really, really digital looking. I was using like a lot of like um, layer styles and stuff to like add all sorts of noise my pieces yeah um, i recall that that was cool yeah yeah it was kind of a fun era i don't know if i'd go back to that i've kind of like taken a step back from digital work like i tried for a bit like i got an i got an ipad i tried to get into like drawing digitally but it just did not work for me it didn't feel like drawing like it didn't i didn't get the same experience from it it just felt like playing a game hmm. or i don't know like just like manipulating a I don't, I don't know. There's just something, something odd about it that just didn't, it did. I, the, the experience of drawing for me, like on, on paper is like what I, what I love. And it just felt like, um, I don't know. Didn't, I just didn't get the same experience from it. I mean, that makes sense. It's not really checking all the same boxes. No, definitely not. There's no resist material resistance. It's, the way I typically put it is like you're playing with almost one-to-one with the idea in your head. You're working digitally. Like if you want to do this crazy shit and move this thing around again or scale this down or draw this perfect box because you think that's the right move, you can do it. But when you work with material, it resists and it suggests things. And then there's also just laziness, like oh, filling this whole area black and then going back in with this white like the odds of you wanting to do that physically versus like digitally where you could just paint bucket it and then start drawing in white. Yeah. There's all these like little frictions that dramatically change how you would make an image or a book just based on what flows out of the process, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you find that students are mostly digital at this point? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Like 90, 99%. (laughs) Do they hear your message though? Do they get it? Um, I, I've had some students like um, email me like a year after the class and be like, thank you so much for, for pushing me to work in sketchbooks. And like, I've filled like five sketchbooks since then. And it's like been really meaningful to me. And like, that's, that's great, but it's like, you know, it's only a handful of, of students. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think there's like something about, um, I feel like students maybe think that like to, in order to be professional, they have to create their work digitally because that's what's expected of them. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think that's fair. You Mm -hmm. know, 
I remember my illustration teachers being like, you would literally just roll up with like a painting to the New York times. And then they would use this weird scanner. Yeah. And that, yeah. that was it. There's like yeah, no, re- totally. there's no revision. It's just like, this is the thing you, <laughs> you're going to use it, you know? Yeah. I, I find that interesting that like the kind of increase in the managerial power of the art director because of the, the speed at which things can be altered. Mm-hmm. That's probably why I don't like, I mean, I still, I do commercial work still, but um, like the neuroses of the client can just increase exponentially because they can tell you to change anything at any time. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. And that that of course can happen within the student too. Mm-hmm. Like uh, people being petrified by the infinite choices of a digital world, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's something I try to try to instill in them is like like I was saying earlier about my own work, it's like just trying to accept the marks you make and like not, you know, constantly undoing or erasing or like manicuring what you're making. Just trying to like accept it and own it and draw around the mistake you made and like turn it into something good. Yeah, that interests me, like the psycho psychological ramifications of the way you make art day in, day out. And what you like what you're saying, like there's acceptance to to that way of working. Mm-hmm. Um and there's no go I mean there's ways you can alter shit, but for the most part there's no going back. And there's also just like a sacrificial element like if you use like handmade paper, then there's a preciousness to how you interact with that thing that does not exist at all with the digital process. Mm-hmm. Cause I, you do use handmade paper, right? I do. Yeah. So there's like, you like this intimacy as the, the holistic process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I, comics are different than that, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. What you were saying? Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just like the, uh, the tactility of those materials and I don't know, just like, you know, feeling the, the paper pulp between my fingers and stuff. And I, I like the danger as well. And like the, the mad medium transfer technique I do like involves like kind of destroying your work a little bit. And, you know, it's like kind of a gamble, whether it's, it's going to turn out properly and stuff. Like when I used to use this technique for illustration and stuff, it was always a bit nerve wracking because sometimes part of the drawing you'd, you'd be like scrubbing part of it and part of the drawing would like wash away or like the paint would, would break off or something like, um, and then you'd have to like doctor it digitally or like try to do it again really quickly. So are you transferring something you drew by hand? Yeah, or... I, I, I have been doing that now. I, I used to only use photocopies of my drawings cause I, I used to all like only do my drawings on like Bristol with like a, with a fine brush and stuff. And then I would, if it was an illustration job, I'd like do the drawing really quick, get it approved, like run to a copy shop, get a copy and then do the transfer with it. Um, but now I've just been like, I've been using just the drawing, the, the ink drawings I've been doing. And sometimes those fuck up too. Like sometimes the ink is like too watered down and like washes away, gets really faded. And, um, you know, sometimes the there's an air bubble in it or something, and like part of it just like breaks off or gets washed away or like 
sometimes they accidentally use gouache instead of acrylic and then the gouache just like washes away totally interesting i don't know i mean i try to make that mistake less <laughs> these days by like paying attention to what paint i'm picking up but yeah 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 it's a fun uh it's a fun process i i kind of like that about it and i like that you don't really know exactly how it's going to look when you're done yeah that's that same notion right it's like the element of surprise that even like the story can give to you when you're not scripting it mm -hmm. yeah it definitely relates back to my comics practice i like to be um i don't know i like to be surprised yeah i've always wondered if there's a selfishness to this in in the way of like I don't know how to word it. Well, it's like, is it, I think in art making there's sacrifices you make for the viewer and then vice versa. There's things that you do for your own pleasure within mm -hmm. the, within the art making process. And I've always wondered, like, even with Miyazaki, like he does the same thing. He doesn't have a clear ending and that's why some of his movies end and you're like, well, that wasn't very good i think even though i love miyazaki i think there's endings where they just fall flat mm. but for him it's i guess more enjoyable or necessary that's why when you were talking about like trying to force yourself to do this more rigid book it's maybe less fun but i wonder sometimes if if the if it's less fun do you ultimately end up with a better book somehow you know like you've kind of like punished yourself into a better book or should it be like a thing that flows out of love and fun and and that's how you get the best product the best book you know yeah i don't know with, with this this one it kind of remains to be seen whether it's going to be like a success or not baby ba ba no this this one that i'm um that i wrote oh the one that you were like a hundred pages in yeah yeah um i don't know a lot of my work is just sort of that it's just like me enjoying myself and having fun. And I'm not really thinking too much about like the reader's experience. It's like uh, refined doodling. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, that's a compliment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's hard, you know, in, in illustration school, I remember, and this is a very real challenge. Like if, if you're into that kind of thing, turning that into a, a process that could happen within six hours within this parameters, people would have these crazy, beautiful sketchbooks and then their illustration work would look super tight mm -hmm. and dry. I think I, mean, I, I, uh, I definitely had that problem. Like early on, I would like, uh, kind of choke a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. My, my early illustration stuff. It took me a bit to be like, okay, I know what I'm doing. Like I got to trust myself in this and just like let it happen. Like not be too, stressed out <clears throat> about what the uh the finished product was going to be right because ultimately it's just an illustration mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel like that yeah i think that's really stifling for me is like worrying about how it's going to be perceived i think that i mean that can be stifling for for any artist do you have that with your music or um, you just let that Cause like, I find that when your ego and your identity is, is not, let's say someone mainly makes art and then they make music on the side. There's oftentimes 
something more enjoyable about the thing that isn't like the primary self-esteem validator, you know? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I know what you mean. Exactly. Um, like in, in the band where I, in Scooter J where I, where I play drums, like I, um, I don't write any of the music. Like I'm just a player and, and that feels really liberating. Um, hmm. like I'm just like a functional member of the band and like the music is great. Like, uh, the guitar player silver writes amazing songs. And, um, uh, my friend Brandon who plays bass is really talented as well. Um, just, yeah, really, really enjoyable experience, like playing with the two of them. Um, my, my, my solo project, I do anonymously. Um, and that's been kind of, um, a funny outlet recently. Um, I don't want to talk about it too much because it is anonymous. I want to keep it that way. It's truly (laughs) secret. Yeah. Well, I mean like friends of mine know what it is and like that I'm doing it, but do you perform live secretly? No, no. It's just like a bedroom, like black metal project, but, um, I I'm on a label, (laughs) a secret Um, label. Yeah. I'm on a secret label. And, uh, how does that relate? How does like, I don't know enough about black metal, but is there something about the pacing of your comics in the, in black metal that, that kind of links up? Is it kind of like wall of sound drony stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very much like, I guess like the energy that went into like something like black mass is like, maybe I'm putting it into this is this music now. It's like definitely has, it's pretty, pretty quirky. Um, the, the project has like gone through different iterations. Like some of it was a little more brooding and like a little more, um, ambient, but it, the current iteration is like a bit more like playful. Um, but definitely like, you know, very, very like wall of sound, very like, um, I don't know. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I just kind of like that that constant like hum of, of black metal. It has this sort of like white noise quality to it. Yeah. That, uh, I really enjoy No, it makes sense for the, the way the books come out, the black mm-hmm. and white. What, what do you feel about black and white? Why do you think I love it? Yeah. Why do you love it? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't, uh, like, yeah, a lot of the works that I do, the com- like, I, I mean, when I do use color, I use it pretty, um, you know, I, I use a lot of like neons and, and a lot of pretty garish colors, but in the, in the comics work, I don't know. I just kind of like that starkness and the way that the, uh, you can kind of like still see the, uh, you know, the imperfections in the ink and stuff. I don't really want it to look very polished. I want it to look kind of like raw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I completely understand. It's more immediate. Mm-hmm. There's so many times I see pages, like even Jack Kirby pages, where I'm just like, that just looks so much better, black and white. Or even the yeah. pencil. The pencil can have that kind of, uh, especially Renaissance penciling. It's just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then the painting is somehow not as satisfying to me. Yeah, there's there's something about adding color to my comics pages that like sucks the uh, the depth out of them. There's like this perceived depth that I have, like sometimes in my black and white drawings where I like I'm like 
the way I drew this, like in like insinuates all of this depth in the piece, but then when I add color, it like sucks mm. all that away and like makes the page look really like small and like cloistered or something. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've been in a art relationship for a long time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this, this is a rare. This is a rare accomplishment, I find. <laughs> Although artists date each other mm -hmm. to last a long time is, is uh, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. My, my partner, Jeanette LaPalm, uh, we've been together for like, I don't know, four, 14 years, 13, wow. 14 years. Um, we were friends for a long time before that, which, which helps. Um, we worked together. Like we met at art school and like her, her and I and our friend Chris Kuzma had uh, like a, comics anthology group like art collective called wowie zonk yeah um, i recall we did for yeah. a number of years we re released a bunch of of comics anthologies under that name and then the three of us curated a, a space at the toronto comic arts festival for a number of years um but yeah yeah uh yeah we've been you know together for a long time always working on projects together and stuff um she she runs a gallery in toronto now called tutun um yeah 998 bathurst street just north of bluer um used to be a weird things gallery run by another canadian artist uh, johnny peterson he moved out to uh victoria bc during the pandemic and asked jeanette if she wanted to take over and she's been doing that ever since she's like coming up on, on two years in the space that's cool yeah it's been great um there's like not really a lot of like community arts spaces in toronto anymore and definitely none like catering to sort of the weirdo um like comics adjacent type stuff that's um that we kind of like operate the, that world that we operate in so uh it's been it's been really great yeah i mean i thought that's a really interesting topic to me i've seen artists date who seem to be competitive in some ways mm -hmm. less cooperative you know and it definitely does not work but as an artist simultaneously you it's kind of hard to explain what you need to a person who isn't an artist how you might need a large space of time away from someone to draw or something yeah we, so, we, uh, we have like an understanding that we need a lot of like personal space and time from each other yeah yeah just to like to focus on on our own projects and stuff i think non-artists can take offense to that just be like what or like being in the zone you know like, oh, like i need to not be interrupted for three days or something because there's something happening totally, it's, a, totally. it's an interesting challenge it seems to me for artists to to cohabitate and to just like but when it works surely it's very beautiful i'm sure you guys inspire each other and feed each other yeah definitely gonna, you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, I mean, like, we're, um, you know, constantly, like, looking over each other's shoulder at what we're doing. Um, and, like, you know, whenever I have any, whenever I finish anything, I'm like, Jeanette, come in, come and look at this and approve of what I've done or tell me it's bad <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so it's great to have someone whose opinion that I really trust to, to look at my work. Uh, it's been, you know, like, just an asset. Yeah, it's incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it works? Like you're just both mature enough to like, not, uh, 
don't yeah, know. I'll, like, because competi- like, <laughs> you work, you don't work. Um, she, I remember she makes like uh, little objects and paintings, right? Yeah. She makes, she makes comics too, right? Sometimes she, she used to, she used to be like much more of a drawing focused artist, but she, she's, she still does drawings and paintings, but has moved on to like, um, sculpture and ceramic. And, uh, now, now she's like, you know, kind of focused in, in curating the gallery and run, running the, running the gallery day to day. Um, so she's not making as much work as she used to, but she, she still, um, you know, create, creates a lot of, of painting and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. We don't really have like, neither of us is like a very competitive person, that's, I guess. Good, like we, yeah. we don't really like see each other as, as being like competition or anything. We, we, we like to work together and like we did, you know, we worked together a lot on projects before we were a couple and then like we've worked to get worked together a ton, like as a couple. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's inspiring. I'd love to interview her about running a gallery. It's a very interesting uh, thing to uh, to do. Totally, yeah, you should. It's a uh... yeah, artist run space is very interesting to me. Yeah, it's a really unique space. It's like it's a store. It's her studio. Um, you know, it's like it's very personal. She's re- she's really great at curating a space like her studio. And we both have studios in our apartments and whenever anyone comes over and they just like marvel at her collection of tchotchkes and, and objects, she's like a great curator and collector of objects. And, um, she's kind of like, you know, now doing that in this, this kind of public space and people are, you know, really responding to it. Well, that's awesome. I'm going to try to get there when, uh, on a Friday. Oh, definitely. Yeah. If I can. You don't, you're not, there's no way you're from this suburb where I'm going to, right? This, I'm going to a suburb like an, I think it's an hour away from Toronto called Whitby. Uh, I am from Whitby. <laughs> why, why, yeah. why would everyone be from Whitby? <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, why, I, why, when why? you told me that you were headed to outside of Toronto, I guess like Oakville or like Richmond Hill or something, but yeah, Whitby, that's where I grew up. So weird. Yeah. Is it huge? It's a pretty big suburb, like definitely like really sprawling. It's just like houses and houses forever. Um, Not really much to do in the way of culture or much of anything. It's just, just houses and and roads. Yeah, Um, no, I just have half of the, my family immigrated to there for some reason. It's mm -hmm. like New, New Jersey and there. And, uh, I haven't seen them in quite some time. Hmm. That, that is so strange. Yeah, yeah. I went there when I was young and it was just, I mean, I'm from a suburb, so it was just more of the same. True, true. All right, so what should I do in Whitby? <laughs> I don't know. Um, what's the coolest, uh, what's the unknown feature of Whitby? Honestly, um, to, to, for me to say something good about Whitby would It'd be, be like, tough. Be a revelation. I don't know. I had a tough time growing up there. It's like, you know, a very homogenous suburb. Um, not a lot to do. Like, I, I never learned how to drive. So I had just like had a tough time getting around to doing anything. And like, 
as a teenager, like going out anywhere, like the police were like omnipresent and like stopped you wherever you were and like hassled you. Um, it, it was pretty, I don't know, pretty oppressive place to grow up. And like, like I said, I like never, for, I don't know why I never came to the city much, but I just like, didn't feel like I could. And so you've lived in Toronto for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. I've lived in Toronto for 17 years now, I think. Right on. I moved here when I was like 18 for school. I've been here ever since. That's cool. So you're very rooted. You've got things figured out. Yeah. yeah kind do you, of, do you feel that? Do you feel that? It sounds like it from an outside perspective. Like it sounds pretty stable. That's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. In a sense. Um, yeah. Jeanette and I are like in a pretty good spot. Like we have, we have, you know, great, great apartments downtown. We both have studios and stuff, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know, like at a moment's notice we could get, evicted or the the people that own the building we live in could sell and i think that's kind of inevitable and sure. we might wind up having to move and like rent here is like so so much more than it was when we moved into this spot like we've been here for for 10 years wow. um, so yeah i don't know it's it's kind of up in the air like I, i'm not really sure there's i don't know i feel like i've got my feet on the ground but this is always kind of like you never really know no no you never know well, it was good talking to you. I'm going to try to see the spot. Yeah, yeah. Great to talk to you as well. Thanks for your time. Take care. Thanks for giving it a listen. Music by Dory Bavarsky and Mingja Chen. Next up, we have Sam Vanalamirsch. <laughs>